Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Uh, welcome to Lighthouse Community. So glad all of you are with us today. And I do want to welcome uh, Bluffton Community as joining us today, uh, as well as Lighthouse Online. Super glad uh, all of you guys are with us. And I want to welcome all of our guests today. Thank you guys so much for being with us today. And uh, we're, uh, I want to start this way. I just want to ask you a question. How, how do you go about getting a good marriage? How do you get a good marriage? Well, if you ask Google, uh, <laughs> you, you get 1.42 billion uh, uh, options in about 0.55 seconds. And uh, when you scroll through some of those, it says things like this. Well, you spend time together. You, you explore common interests. You, you never, never use the D word, right? Uh, you forgive you, uh, you engage in physical intimacy. Uh, one article said, learn good negotiating tactics. Um, <laughs> and, and I think my favorite piece of advice was in an article I hope nobody ever finds. Uh, but their uh, key to a good marriage is to men saying, just find a good wife. Right? That's all you have to do. Like, that'll solve everything. It's like, okay, thank you, Captain Obvious. Uh, but uh, yeah, so there's all kinds of stuff out there. And, and, but my question is this, is what if a good marriage is not enough? Like, what if a good marriage is not enough? And, and what I mean is maybe you've talked with a friend, uh, maybe you've heard the story uh, maybe you're there right now where you're going, hey, you know, our, our marriage is fine. We're not, we're not arguing. We're not fighting. Nothing's wrong. You know, everything's okay. But it just feels like something's missing, right? Everything at home is fine, but it just feels like something is missing, right? And so I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't pursue a healthy biblical marriage, my question is simply, what if a good marriage is not enough to sustain the deepest longing that you have within your person, right? Because it's like, there, there's a moment where, yes, the hand-holding and the looking longingly into each other's eyes and, and date night every week and, and, and all of the things that you should do and negotiate well and, and, and whatever it is for a good marriage, all that stuff is fine. But what about when it just there's still this nagging emptiness that's inside of you going, something is missing. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to show you how marriage points to your deepest need, like no matter what your status is, right? Whether you're married or you're single or you're divorced or, or you're not even looking, right? You're on the market, you're off the market, you're heading to the market. Like it does not matter where you are in that, in that place, like how the mar marriage actually points to our deepest need. And then the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to make a decision that can change your entire life. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do all that in about 30 minutes, right? That's exciting. You see, man, you're getting your money's worth today. So, uh, I want to ask everybody if you brought a Bible or your phone, if you'll turn in their Bible to Ephesians 5, or you can click over to Ephesians 5, that's in the New Testament. And uh, we're wrapping up, this is the last week in our series called God Made Marriage. And we have been talking about how marriage really exposes 
uh, and helps us understand the gospel a little bit better. And the gospel actually affects our marriages at the same time. And I've got to tell you, as we've been journeying through these last few weeks, you know, we have heard uh, people uh, taking steps of growth in the relationship with Jesus. We're hearing about people taking steps of healing and freedom in their marriages, their friendships, their all of these other places. It's been absolutely remarkable to see what God has been doing through our time together in the series. So before we read in Ephesians 5, I do want to take a moment and just pray together for a moment. So let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we, we come before you right now recognizing that you provide everything that we have. You sustain us in our life. The fact that we can breathe right now, the fact that, that our synopsis are, are firing in, in our brains uh, is a gift from you. And I pray that in this moment, we would not approach the scriptures as, oh, well, this is what we always do. We, we study the scriptures. We talk about the Bible and, and all of that. I pray that instead that your Holy Spirit would bring us to this realization in this moment that we are encountering the very words of God. And if we will have ears to hear and eyes to see, that the Holy Spirit will speak to us in very clear ways and that you would grant us the courage to follow you and to trust you. And so please don't let this be another Sunday morning where we do what we're supposed to, but may this be an encounter with the living God. And we pray these things through Christ. Amen. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5. I am going to start reading in verse 31. And you know what? This is just a couple of passages, so let's just read this out loud together. I'm going to try to get out of the way. Starting with, therefore, a man, this passage should be familiar to you if you've been here for the series. But are you ready? At all of our locations, let's read together and go. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Great. So, so we're just going to dive right into this. And the first truth that I want to bring out this morning that Paul puts very plainly for us is that marriage helps us to understand the mystery of the gospel. That marriage helps us to understand the mystery of the gospel. And so Paul says, listen, there's this mystery. When a husband and a wife come together and they become one flesh, that's mysterious. We don't really understand how that works. We talked about that in week one and two. And so if you want to go back, we can dive into that uh, further if you want to go back and refer to that. But there's this, this mystery. We don't really understand it. It's like it's supernatural. It's amazing. But Paul says that that mystery actually points to another greater, deeper, more profound mystery. And he says that that is how Christ and the church are one. That marriage points to our relationship with the Lord. And he says it's a mystery. But it's not a mystery that's supposed to be kept from us, right? It's not a mystery that's supposed to be a secret and that we're not supposed to know or we're not allowed to know. But more so, it's a mystery in the fact that God wants us to, to know it. But we need him to understand it. We can't grasp it on our own. 
right? And so this is, this is a mystery that he wants to reveal to us. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, you know, Paul writes about this fact that there's these mysteries that God has, and he says, these things God has revealed to us through his Spirit, right? And so there's mysteries that God wants us to know. And this mystery of the gospel and how, the, how Christ and the church are one, he wants us to know that. Now, I want to take a, a scientific poll very quickly, if we can. Uh, raise your hand if you love to give gifts, right? You are a gift giver, and that's something that brings you great. Okay, put your hand down. And raise your hand if you're like, I'm waiting for one right now, right? <laughs> I love to receive gifts. I would like one, please, uh, right? But so, uh, yeah, some of you like giving gifts. Um, I like both. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, but I remember a few years ago for our anniversary, I uh, my wife, Christina, loves coffee, like all things coffee. And so uh, I planned about a month or so in advance. I can't tell you how long in advance planning that is for me. But uh, so I bought I brought this espresso machine, and I got her some training from a barista. So I was like so excited for her to open this thing and realize what, like I wanted to see how she would respond. I wanted to see her face. I wanted to see her excitement and her joy and all those things. And I'll tell you, man, she opened it up, and she's like, oh, my goodness. You know, and then she made all her frou-frou drinks, uh, you know, that she does. And it was wonderful. I feel like there's more milk and sugar than coffee. But anyways, uh, anywho, but I just remember the joy that I had in being able to see her open up that, that gift. And, and I think that that is a, a small glimpse at God when we start looking at the gospel, right? This great gift that he wants us to have. And in fact, what's, what's amazing is when you read through the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament has been pointing to this mystery of the gospel, all of the Old Testament has been revealing, but it's been a shadow, right? It's been this veiled preview of what was to come, right? You couldn't really see all of it, but it was pointing to something greater that was getting ready to come. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 13, talking about himself and the time that they were in, he says, listen, all of the prophets and all of the law of Moses, right? Meaning the whole Old Testament and everybody prior to, they looked forward to this present time. They were excited about the Messiah coming, and they looked ahead of that with hope and joy. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says it this way, that the old system under the law of Moses, right, the Old Testament, was only a shadow. It was a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves, right? And so everything you read in the Old Testament, it is pointing ahead to this fulfillment. It's pointing ahead to these good things that are to come. Those weren't the good things in and of themselves, but it was looking forward. And so marriage helps to reveal this mystery that the Old Testament has always been pointing to. And so what, what's the mystery? What's the mystery of the gospel? Well, it's this, that the Bible and all of life find their fulfillment and their truest expression in Jesus Christ. All of the Bible and all of life, in fact, find its truest fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so when you and I are looking for fulfillment anywhere else outside of Jesus, we are looking at lesser things. We are looking at previews. We are looking at shadows. We are not looking at the good things themselves because Jesus is the good thing that God has always wanted for us. So that's the first truth, is that uh, marriage reveals this mystery of the gospel. Here's the second truth. If that is true, and it is, it's this. Christ is our husband who loves us. 
Christ is our husband who loves us. And so I know, you know, for some, you know, you're kind of, there may be some very masculine people in here going like, you know, of course not my husband. Uh, you know, uh, we don't roll that way. Uh, but it, it's talking, right, the, the scriptures are talking very figuratively in this regards, but you're going to see why it actually fits perfectly. Is, is Paul used marriage to help us understand the gospel? But he's doing like a double meaning, right? So at the same time that he's instructing husbands on how to love their wives and wives how to respect their husbands, at the exact same time he's doing that, he's also pointing to deeper spiritual truth truths about the gospel and about our relationship with Jesus Christ. So in fact, if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, and you go back to verse 25, we're just going to look at the husbands for right now, and you read through these verses, look at what it says. And, and I want you to think about this as we're reading. Who, who are these passages describing more? Okay, Keep that question in mind while we read. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. When you look through those passages, you go, man, who is Paul talking about more here? Is he really talking about husbands or is he talking about someone else? He's really talking about Christ. You know what he's saying? He's saying, husbands, if you want to know how to love your wife, you've got to experience Christ's love for yourself. Because until you do that, you can't really love your wife the way that you were designed to. You've got to experience the love of Jesus Christ for yourself in order to be able to love your wife really, really well. And, and Paul does this all the time. Anytime you read his letters, he always starts with your identity in Christ before he gets to ethics in Christ. He always begins with who you are as a result of your faith in Jesus, and then you flow into now how do we live because of who we are, of our faith in Jesus. When you reverse those two, and you start with the doing first, you usually cross into religion, right? And you sidestep faith, and you sidestep relying on the Lord. And so when you look at Ephesians as a whole, chapters 1 through 3, it's all about your identity in Christ, what he's done, what he's accomplished, how we believe, who we are now. And then you get to chapter 4 through 6, and it's all about how do we live now. Now in light of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, how do we live? Anybody read the Old Testament book of Hosea? Is that on anybody's must-read list of 2022? Okay, yeah. <laughs> Do yourself a favor. If you haven't, you should read it this week. Like, just read it. It's not a very long book. But in the Old Testament book of Hosea, uh, God uses his life as an object lesson. And basically what God tells Hosea, he says, I want you to marry this woman, and her name is Gomer. I want you to get past her name, okay? <laughs> That's just, it is what it is, okay? And so Hosea marries Gomer. And then, right, everything's going great, it's going wonderful, and Gomer leaves. She leaves Hosea uh, and goes and lives with another man and, and pretends to be his wife, right? She's, she enters into an adulterous relationship with another man. And so uh, story's over, right? Too bad, so sad. No. Because God instructs Hosea, he says, Hosea, I want you to go find Gomer, I want you to buy her back, I know she's yours, but I want you to buy her back, pay, pay the price for her, 
and you take her home as your wife, and you care for her, and you love her, and you walk with her, right? And so Hosea did. Here's why I tell you that story in light of all of this that we're talking about. We are Gomer. We are Gomer running from Jesus into the arms of someone else, right? Running away from him. And so what Jesus did is Jesus left heaven, left his father in heaven, entered into our world, wrapped himself in flesh, lived a life that we should have, took on, I want you to realize this, he took on the debt. He paid the debt that we owed for our sin. He paid that on our behalf, died, and then rose from the dead three days later. Okay? Now, Jesus did all of that. Why? Ephesians 5, 25 through 30, so that we could be holy, we could be clean, we could be righteous, that he could wash us with the water of the word, that we could be without blemish, that we could be without spot, that he could present us to himself gloriously beautiful, right? All of those things, he did all of that. Ephesians 5, 25, why? Because he loves us because he loves us, right? And so you and I have a choice, and the choice is you either keep running away from Christ and you try to find some other counterfeit that will never fulfill you, by the way. Nothing and no one will ever love you the way that Christ already has. So one choice is to keep looking. The other choice is to step in the, into the relationship that God has for you, right? To step into that relationship with Jesus and receive his love as a gift. Because Christ is the better husband, right? He just is. So if Christ is the, is the husband who loves us, this is true three, then what does that mean for us? Well, we are the bride who live in awe of Jesus. We are the bride who live in awe of Jesus. Uh, look at Ephesians 5, 32 and 33. It says this, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, that word respect is an interesting word. It actually means fear. That's how it's translated, okay? Now, there's two senses of fear, that this word typically gets used as. One is like, I'm afraid of a person. I'm afraid they're going to do something to me. I'm afraid of a storm. I'm afraid of a situation, right? I'm full of fear because I think something bad is about to happen. But the other sense that this word fear is used is actually used in reverence and in awe of standing in the presence of the Lord. It's worship. That's, that's actually what it's talking about. Those are the two uh, ways that that word is used in the New Testament. Now, I'm going to nerd out on you for a second, but I want you to hang with me, okay? Now, of the 98 times that this word fear is used in the New Testament, 80 of them are like, I'm afraid of something bad about to happen, okay? So overwhelmingly, it's this fear thing. 17 of them are used in referring to worshiping the Lord, right? Standing in awe of who Jesus is, realizing that he is God, right? And then one, only one, is used in the reference of marriage. It's not used anywhere else. And so, well, is it husband, like wives, you should be afraid of your husbands? No. Is it wives, you should worship your husbands? No. <laughs> right? Not that. So then what is it? 
Well, Paul's doing, remember I told you, he's doing this double, double teaching at the same time. He's saying the same way that Christ loves the church by sacrificing himself for her. And by the way, that's how husbands should love their wives. He's saying the wife stands in awe of the husband. And the wife is the church, the bride of Christ. And we stand in awe of our husband, the bridegroom, Jesus, right? And what Paul is saying is the church, our best response is to worship Jesus Christ. Our best response is to worship Jesus Christ, live in awe of what he's done. And I was thinking about being awestruck. And there's about uh, just a few times I can remember in my life really being struck with awe. Uh, one of them was the day that uh, I got to marry Christina. Uh, n- a number of them, because I have four kids, uh, was every time I got to meet one of my kids. Uh, that was pretty amazing. And, and there's a third, and you might go, oh, how do you put that in there with the other two? But I remember the very first time I stood at the, the beginning of the Pacific Ocean, and I looked out and saw this wide vastness, and I was in awe of that, right? And it just overwhelmed me. I wonder what are some moments that you have been just awestruck, just moments where you've kind of gone, wow, this is pretty amazing, right? Why do we do that? Why do we get struck with awe sometimes? I think part of what it is, is we, when we encounter something so big, so large, so much bigger than we are, we begin to realize just how small we are. We begin to realize in the vast scope of everything, we realize how powerless we really are. I thought I was a big deal until just now, right? And I realized how small, and I'm a part of something bigger. And what Paul is saying, at the same time that he's instructing husbands and wives, he's saying, live like that with Jesus. Stand in awe of Jesus. And my question is this. And I ask it of myself as much as I ask it of you. When is the last time that you have simply sat in the awe of Jesus and thought about everything that he is? He was God, his creator, his savior, his redeemer, right? The one who paid my sin debt. And, and thought about all the things that he's done for you, right? Everything he's accomplished on your behalf just so that there could be a right relationship with you. And, and, and to just sit and, and marvel at who he is and what he's done. When's the last time that you've done that? And what Paul is saying is one of the greatest gifts that we can give to the bridegroom is to stand in awe, to worship him, to celebrate him, to honor him, to recognize what he has done, and to glorify him for it. So then the question is like, okay, well then what do we do with all of this? Well, I think if Paul were here, He would say something along these lines. Display Christ's love for others. Display Christ's love for others. And if you're married, especially to your spouse. I think that's what he would say. Display Christ's love to others. And if you're married, especially to your spouse. And so I know some of you, you're already going, you're like brainstorming ways in your whiteboarding how you can display the love of Christ. I could do this and I could get a new t-shirt and I could, you know, like you're figuring out all the things that you can do to, to display the love of Christ. But I want you to pause before you go there because just like Paul, he always starts with the identity in Christ before you get to the ethics of Christ. You, you can't miss this, right? If you go, too, go there too quickly, you'll miss it. You've got to begin with letting the love of Christ fill your own life. You've got to let the gospel fill you, fill your soul with awe. 
to be mesmerized, to be overwhelmed, to be overtaken with what Christ has done for you in your own life. And that always starts, by the way, it always starts by saying yes to Jesus by faith. Saying yes to him as forgiver and leader over your life. But it also means like meditating on all that Christ has done. We've talked about a little bit of that, but it's more than his death and resurrection. It's meditating on the fact that you've now been adopted by faith. Right? You're being transformed by the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit living within you, right? God himself. If you're a genuine born-again believer, God has taken up residency in your life, right? Not like part of God, not a, not a percentage of God, not another form of God, but God himself is living within you. Have you meditated on that fact for a little bit? Like, like the Holy Spirit is in here somewhere and everywhere. And, and the Bible says, I'm the temple. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like to just meditate and think deeply. And what does that mean? And, and, and when I think about that, I begin to realize what Paul is saying. Like, you're not your own. You're bought at a price. You don't have the right to do whatever you want if you belong to Jesus. You gave that up when you said yes to him by faith. Right? It's like God is living within me. And so, but it's not meditating for meditating's sake, right? It's not emptying your mind. It's actually filling your mind. You're filling your mind with truth. And you fill your mind with truth from the Bible, right? And, and so when you're meditating, when you're reflecting on the scriptures, here's what I would encourage you to do. Resist trying to answer the question that comes to all of us immediately, right? We read a Bible passage and we go, what should I do? Don't do that. Okay, don't start there anyways. Instead, read a Bible passage and start here. What does this say about who God is? What does this say about who Jesus is? What does this say about who the Holy Spirit is and what that means about me, if that's true? And then from the outflow of that, you begin to see what God may be calling you to do in light of that passage. But the more you discover how amazing and how awesome and how incredible and just who God is, you will find your heart being drawn to awe. Your heart will be drawn to worship, right? To praise him, to celebrate him, all of those things. And, and, and worship it's so central to who you are it's because it's what you were made for. Do you know you were made to worship the Lord? You were made to live in awe of the Lord. That's why you were created. You were created to look at God and go, oh, my goodness. He's amazing. He's incredible. I can't believe this. That's what you were made for, right? In fact, um, Erwin Letzer, who, who's a former senior pastor of Moody Church uh, in, in Illinois, he, he wrote this. He said that if we haven't learned to be worshipers, it doesn't really matter how well we do anything else. If we haven't learned to be worshipers, it doesn't really matter how well we do anything else. I get so caught up in trying to be better in this area of my life and better in that area and being more effective and all of those types of things. And I think Irwin's right. If I don't learn how to submit myself before the Lord and stand in on him, who really gives a rip that I know how to do all this other stuff really, really great? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But when you do learn how to worship, everything else gets new purpose. Everything else has new weight, right? I'm coming at it in a fresh way. My marriage is different now. The way I come to work, the way I approach my friendships, the way I, any kind of any, right? It all's different now because I'm standing in awe of Jesus and what he's done. And what's amazing is when Christ's love captures you and begins to transform you now by faith, guess what happens? Husbands, you now have this supernatural ability to lay down your life to serve your wife. It's crazy. 
It's amazing, right? And same thing for wives. Like, you now have this new supernatural empowerment by the Holy Spirit to submit to your husband in joy. That's what the scriptures talk about. And and it doesn't even affect only your marriage. Because when you look at the rest of Ephesians 5, it begins to affect our other relationships too. It says, when the Holy Spirit gets into the lives of children, they actually want to obey their parents. And parents actually want to disciple their children to walk with Jesus. And it gets to the point where even slaves and masters start seeing who can serve each other better in the Lord. And it goes so far that the love of Christ will transform your life. You will even find ways and courage to bless your enemies. This is what the love of Christ does. This is crazy. This is amazing. So one of my sons is kind of in this moment of like uh, tension and battling with another kid in his class. Right, and so uh, sometimes he'll come home and he'll tell me stories. He'll say, you know, you know, this kid said this today. I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, and so what I said to him was, you know, <laughs> and he's kind of like, yeah, I got him good, Dad, you know. <laughs> and so there's kind of this back and forth going on all the time between the two of them, and uh, and so I remember one one night we were talking about it, and he told me another story, and I said, hey, um, I I know this kid. And uh, I think I know something you might not know. Um, He comes from a lot of pain in his family. There's a lot of brokenness in his family. And, uh, And I'm not saying that that excuses what he's doing and what he's saying. But essentially what he's doing is, I want somebody to notice me. I want somebody to look at me. All right? And this is the only way he knows how to do that right now. And I said, you and I probably do not understand all the things that he's going through in his personal life and in his own, his own thinking and the way that it's coming out this way. And I said, do you think that it's possible for the Holy Spirit to empower you that when he says stuff and does stuff, that you could actually not even respond in kind, right? You, could, you wouldn't even try to best him. You wouldn't try to do him one better and get him back and needle him. Like, do you think the Holy Spirit could empower you to do that? He's like, maybe. And I said, okay. Do you think that the Holy Spirit has the capacity to actually not only keep you from doing that stuff, but actually do the exact opposite and show him love and befriend him and encourage him and speak hope into his life and invite him to know Jesus in a similar way that you do? Do you think the Spirit could empower you to do that? He's like, maybe. And so that's what we've been praying about for the last week and a half, just asking the Lord to do something along those lines. Now, I want to be transparent with you because that is not Fritz's idea, all right? Let me tell you what Fritz wants to do. Fritz wants to go find that kid, wrap him on the head, and knock him unconscious, all right? That's what Fritz wants to do, (laughs) all right? But that's the old Fritz, and the old Fritz is dead. And every time he gets up, we talked about this weeks ago, every time he gets up and he shows up at my front door, what do I got to do? I got to kill him. And I bury another hole in the backyard, right? And so, right, I didn't come up with this. This is, you know why Fritz, the new Fritz can do that? Because I'm not looking for love anymore. 
I'm not looking to you to accept me. I'm not looking to you for validation and to tell me that I'm worth something because Christ has already set my value and my worth. I don't have to best you. I don't have to be, be, I don't have to be better than you. I just have to look at the bridegroom in awe and wonder. You know what it's like? It's like a young couple who's, who's in early love, right? Like you overlook every offense. You, you, you don't even see their bad habits, right? You don't even realize they chew with their mouths open, right? You don't, like, you don't notice any of that because you're so in love. But with Christ, it's that way all the time. That even big offenses get absorbed into Christ. This is what Paul's talking about. And you only get there by receiving Christ's love as a gift. It is a profound mystery that two people can become one flesh. You know what's even more profound mystery to me? And I hope I never, never, ever get over it. The more profound mystery to me is this. That Christ can know all of me. Every bit of my life. All my sinfulness. All my self-centeredness all the ways that I want and pine for myself and and all of those things, right? He knows every aspect, all the darkness of my life, and yet he still loves me. And he doesn't walk away from me, and he doesn't reject me, and he doesn't turn away. And I just keep pursuing him. I hope I never get over that mystery. And if you've never come to the place where you have said yes to Jesus Christ in your life, And you've said yes to him as your leader. And you've said yes to him as your forgiver. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about pulling certain spiritual levers so that you know you're going to get the spiritual biscuit or get into heaven one day. I'm talking about knowing that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you will trust him over and above anyone else here going forward. Like, have you come to that place in your life? Because that's wildly different than doing the religious thing, right? And I want to invite you into the first and not into the second. Because when you step into that, that will transform your life. It'll transform your marriage. It'll transform your friendships. It'll transform how you show up to work. It'll transform the way you raise your kids. It'll change everything about you. If you only settle to go after a good marriage, I'm going to tell you, it will not hold up underneath the weight of what you need it to do. Christ is the only one who can stand up underneath the weight of what you need. I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. We ask this question every weekend, and I want you to ask it again. Jesus, what are you saying to me? And I want you to listen to him for a moment. Father, I pray that in a fresh way you have opened up our eyes to the gospel in a new way. And I want to pray for any of my friends here today that maybe they have come to the realization that they have been relying on religious works. They have been relying on some performance that they accomplish to be able to know that they're going to go to heaven or to know that they're in a healthy relationship with you. And I pray that the Spirit would 
overwhelmingly open their eyes that there is no act. I just think about like Pastor Matt read it for us this morning in our team huddle. Like salvation is a gift. It is a gift by grace through faith so that no one can take credit for it except for Jesus. And so our role is to simply accept that gift of love that gift of transformation, that gift of new life in Christ. And, and I know it sounds crazy. Lord, like I remember the first time I heard it. It's like you just, you just say yes? You just receive it? There's, there's no code to punch in. There's no penance to perform. There's no handshake to learn. There's, you, you, just, you just say yes, and he transforms your life from that point forward? It's like, yeah. And until I experienced it, I didn't understand it. But I get it now. Now I don't ever want to go back. And I thank you that you won't allow me to. And so I want to pray for any of my other friends who are still kind of like skeptic, skeptical on this. That they would, your spirit would grant them the courage to say yes today by faith. And would trust you. Now, as you're still praying and you're listening to the Lord, I want to give you just some quick instructions. So one of the things that's about to happen is, is the band is going to start making their way to the stage. And they're going to lead one more song. And during this last song, what we're going to do is we're going to have prayer leaders that are available in each corner, all the four corners of the room, okay? By the cross, back by the sound booth, back by the double doors, up here on my left, your right. And during this last song, if you would like to receive prayer for any area of your life, I'm going to invite you to get up out of your seat and go to one of those corners and pray with one of our leaders who are trained and ready to pray with you. They would love to pray with you today. And please don't ever be embarrassed to want to receive prayer because we all need prayer. Every one of us do. I got to pray with some brothers this morning, right? Right at the, the opening of the, the main doors this morning. It was great. It was so good. And so don't worry about what anybody else is going to think about you, right? Like just be in awe of Jesus and let's pray together. And so um, at our other locations, they're probably giving you instructions right now of what you're going to be doing. But I want to ask you here in the house, uh, everybody just to stand right where you're at because we're getting ready to worship. Go ahead and stand right on up. We're gonna, the band's going to lead us in a song. I want to pray for you. And if our prayer leaders will begin making their way to their spots in their locations so that you're ready to pray with somebody, that would be great. Let me pray for you, and then I want to invite you to do the same. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.